Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. This episode was recorded on Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung land. Welcome to Interior Couture. We're here to bring the same excitement over interior design that friends share when discussing the latest in fashion. So grab a glass and join us for another episode of Interior Couture, where design comes home. Welcome back to another episode of Interior Couture. I'm Ash from Tove Interiors. And I'm Claire from Amila Studio. We are so excited to be back for episode two of season two. How good. Two of two. Two of two. We're on a roll. Yeah, Yeah. we really are. It feels good. It feels very aligned. There's that word again. It's our buzzword for this season, I think. (laughs) Yeah, very aligned this season to the direction we're going personally. Oh, it feels so good. It is. And I feel like I'm learning so much. Yes. Today's episode, we're going to be touching on 1970s, the design era of the 1970s. And there was so much to unpack And I found it so surprising that it was so relevant to some of my current projects, not in terms of their design style, but some of the, I guess, like theories behind it and elements. I was like, oh, this is so applicable. Yeah. And it's making me a better designer. So good, isn't it? We just get to nerd out every week, (laughs) which is something that we keep laughing about, the sheer fact that we love doing all of this research every week and that we just get to be absolute nerds about it. It feels so good. I even went to the library on Saturday. Yes. (laughs) Like an absolute nerd. to go and research they actually didn't have any of the books I wanted I went there thinking oh I'll be able to find these really nice you know 1970s books I found nothing so I just set up my laptop and worked from there but it was cool coincidentally enough I found books on our suburbs good karma page did you I did someone was putting up books and one of them was specific to this era and so I talk about the stars aligning no it really was so we're going to unpack that today in our episode yeah but before we do Claire give me your weekly recommendation this week I'm giving a recommendation based on something that I did on the weekend so on Sunday a girlfriend and I went to High Street Armadale which is here in Melbourne all of the bougie couture boutiques are all there along that strip and we just went shopping she was going to find a hen's day dress I was going to find a dress for the Brownlow. neither of us actually had any luck in finding what we were looking for but we got to try on beautiful so clothes and go in and out of these stunning stores the interiors of these stores are just incredible any Japandi interiors There actually wasn't. There wasn't really that much represented. My favourite interior was at Dion Lee and Mm. everything, all of the walls were all mirror and metal and then all of the racks were in front of that with these like jarring edges and the counter was all concrete. It was just very vibey, very Mm. cool. So lots of inspo from doing that experience as well as such a great appreciation of how talented designers are to be able to create yeah. such stunning clothes so and to have a pretty woman moment you could really just call was. it like your pretty woman saturday yeah it was so much fun so i can highly recommend with even with no intention of buying anything or the intention of buying everything <laughs> whichever way it was very fun so that's my recommendation i love that mine is selfish 
My recommendation is so that I can find out where you've all gone. Oh, great. Okay, give it to us. <laughs> I think you should spend your time and money going to get a Japanese hair spa experience. Wow, we talk me through this. It's been popping up on my Instagram mm-hmm. a lot. I don't know how. Maybe it's because I'm loving shampoo right now. Yeah, but <laughs> she's in her shampoo era. I'm in my shampoo era. <laughs> Contact me if you want a good shampoo. <laughs> yeah. But yes, so the, it's like this full immersive experience where they – like steam your hair and scrub your hair and they whack it with a like a <laughs> they whack it with a rake I don't know what that's okay. doing but and then they put like the hot steam towel over your face and it all just sounds so luxurious and relaxing yet I can't find one in Melbourne okay so the gal's desperate to experience it but can't find it so I'm recommending it for all of you probably more technology savvy people that can find one to go searching on Ash's bar yes because it must exist (laughs) it's got it well if it's coming up in your algorithm it's out there somebody's doing it. everyone I'm finding is in America ah yes well Maybe there's a market for it here yep. in Australia. There so you go. <laughs> if anyone listening is in the hair industry and would like to open a shop, I will be there, as <laughs> yeah. will Claire. <laughs> yeah, we'll be your first customers, please, and thank you. So they are our two recommendations. Shall we get into our first segment? Let's. Let's do it. We are going to jump into our Design Pulse. And if you didn't join us last week, the Design Pulse is three hot topics that are happening within our industry yeah. at the moment. They're three hot topics that Claire and I have picked. Yeah, so we think they're hot, hot topics. to us. <laughs> yeah, so debatable how hot they are to everyone else. <laughs> but we're the judges, so come along for the ride. I mean, if we're talking hot, then we need to start with Carrie Bradshaw's apartment. So yes. topic number one is an uh, article done by Architecture Digest that unpacks the five design eras of Carrie Bradshaw's apartment. This was so fun. Yeah, this is great. So, of course, we're talking about the iconic Sex in the City Upper East Side pre-war brownstone studio. I love that they specified pre-war. I don't really know why, but I was like, ooh. A little bit of a character element in it that I didn't realise. Yeah. It's so iconic to Sex and the City and the journey that Carrie Bradshaw goes on throughout Mm. the the seasons ran from 1998 to 2004 plus the two movies and now Mm. we're in season two of Just Like That which Mm. is the next era of Sex and the City and in all of these eras – Carrie Bradshaw's apartment has been front and centre and the reason that this article has come up now is because, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the season final of season two, block your ears right now, but she is selling her apartment. So it's the end of an era, she is moving out and Ash is currently blocking her ears even though she did the research because she hasn't watched it. (laughs) I feel like it was blocked enough that I didn't quite hear what you said, <laughs> okay. but I was following your mouth enough to know it was now time to unblock my ears. Great, great, great. I have to say in reading the article, one of the quotes that I found really relatable was this one. It says, minty green walls, wood mid-century modern furniture, books and magazines galore, and unbashed pattern mixing are all on display here, which is a reflection of Carrie. I really liked that in multiple points of the article it talked about how the apartment was 
redesigned or added to to be a reflection of what she was going through at that point in her Mm. life and that's something that you and I harp on a lot about is that you don't need to design your home once like one and done it needs to evolve as you evolve and as you change and it feels like they were really intentional with that and I quite liked that totally agree because you can see in so many alternative seasons no series that's the word I'm going for you can tell in so many alternative series the set of a home is a set and that's it like friends doesn't change change. yeah yeah whereas this it does actually feel quite unique to Mm -hmm. sex in the city I'm not able to pinpoint I didn't research it though I'm not able to pinpoint another series where they change the home so dramatically and add and subtract and there's this real what is that smirk about Gilmore Girls. Oh, okay. It's the only other series I can think of. Okay, there you go. But a a similar theme where they're following like a main woman character. Yeah. So I wonder if that's kind of... That's the thread. The thread. So I really enjoyed that throughout this article they make reference to the fact that Carrie, her character, is a writer in New York City and she is living essentially slightly beyond her means by having a bougie apartment, bougie things that she can't necessarily always afford. So there's flea market items thrown in there and I loved reading that a lot of them have actually come from a Manhattan flea market that they find and then they bring to set, which is just so wonderful to see because it almost gives us confirmation that this is how we too can Mm -hmm. be living our life forever adding little bits Mm -hmm. and pieces to our interiors as you know we add to our life. The most relatable point I found in the article was Carrie Bradshaw's biggest thing was redecorating after a bad breakup. Yeah. And I did that in my younger years when I would break up with someone I don't know what it is. It's that need to chop all your hair off and redecorate your space, like a fresh... Stepping into a new identity, right? Yeah, Yeah. and I I guess a lot of it is also like removing memories that you had with that person. Energy of them. Yeah, Yeah. and I just thought, I love that they thought about those items in a set and I think that's what made the show so relatable as a whole because like you said, not a lot of other shows would think, okay, well, they've gone through a big life change so I'm going to redecorate the set. Yeah. Whereas this was such an integral part of it and so relatable and really what we do with our interiors. Yeah, it would have been a miss if they hadn't have taken that storyline all the way through. Sex in the City, of course, was so very iconic. Probably just before our time. I was only eight when it came out. <laughs> and, and I was four. Yes. Yeah, so a little before our time. So a bit before our time, but definitely as we've grown up. I'm not a Sex in the City. I haven't seen every single episode, but I do know the general storyline of it all. And the fact being that at the time, it was so very iconic of the era and to follow these four powerful, Mm. diverse women, their interiors really show their personality. Not just Carrie's apartment, but all of their apartments are very different and very unique to them, which is so great to see because as you said earlier, We harp on about that all the time and it's great to have reference points to that. And one of the things that I found really interesting is the fact that Carrie's 
bed cover. She has like quite a floral bed cover. And it's still available from Calvin Klein and still selling. So that is how iconic this series is that even all of these years later, it's still making waves with interior decisions that we're making. And the last point that I wanted to make is the fact that now in this new series and just like that, when another spoiler alert, when Mr. Big dies and <gasps> she then... Oh, sorry. shit. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't block my ears. Oh, no. Sorry, girlfriend. Sorry. So after... And she moves, moves out of that apartment and back into her apartment, she redecorates. And as she redecorates, the thing that is very iconic and when you... Well, when I now think of that interiors, I think of in the area where her desk is, where she sits her little uh, computer and looks out at the street. That room is all in wallpaper and the wallpaper mm. is these blue flowers. Yeah, you can buy it. And it is actually Sarah Jessica Parker's yeah. wallpaper. Yeah. It is actually her brand that she's done a collaboration with an interior mm. designer and then put it in the set. That is so clever. Yeah. I love that so much and I love that it isn't just Carrie Bradshaw that has her makes her mark on this apartment. It is Sarah Jessica Parker as well. Yeah, Lopez Castillo, who I think is the set designer, yeah. said that um, Sarah Jessica Parker had a really big input into how the apartment was going to look and that it would be the easiest way to create a reflection of Carrie by almost asking Carrie herself. So they approached it almost like a client relationship, a client to designer relationship, which is super interesting. And I don't think – I would be curious to know if a lot of shows take that approach. Yeah, it makes perfect sense in this instance considering that it's nearly a 30-year relationship that we're talking about. So to finish off the article that was actually just so fun to read – I'm going to leave you with their, I actually think it is their parting words in the article. Mm -hmm. It says, interiors are often an expression of the inhabitants, colouring the four walls with stories of their personal lives. That's almost a really good mission statement as you approach the design of your home. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to redecorate or redesign, having that as your mission statement and when you're making your decisions, referring back to that and thinking, is this a reflection of me or stories? Can you say it one more time? Interiors are often an expression of the inhabitants, colouring the four walls with stories of their personal lives. That's so beautiful, isn't it? So look, if you need a mission statement for your deep redecorating purposes, there it is. There it is. All right, let's move on to design pulse number two. Dostasio Sita restaurant here in Melbourne by this article was by Hazel Studio. On their website, they've got a descriptor that says, Restaurant, art gallery, institution, homage to brutalist design. Sita is a designing experience that indulges all the senses. Now, we haven't been there. We haven't. So this is a restaurant very close to us here. We've done this research and it's not until we sat down today we said, why didn't we just pop in there? Yeah. It would have been amazing. I would say through the article's images and other images I found, I think that little descriptor is really a really accurate representation mm. of what they're doing. Mm. So to give you a little bit of a, I guess, visual, basically it is this 
uh, really stunning concrete wall terrazzo floor uh, restaurant mm. that reflects fine dining restaurant. It's fine dining mm. Italian that reflects visual artists around the room. So there's an artist called Sean Gladwell and they do these projections behind the bar and across the walls, this really immersive experience that as you're eating this quite like petite fine dining food, you're getting this really incredible artwork kind of evolving around you, Mm. which is really unique. It is unique, but I can't help but wonder if this is the way we're going Mm. with fine dining we are of the era where we're all about experiences we're more than happy to save our pennies to spend on a great experience I actually recently was reading an article completely off topic but about Taylor Swift and the sheer fact that we are of course in an economic pinch point at the moment where everyone is really trying to keep a hold of their cash and trying not to spend but yet tickets for Taylor Swift come out they sell out within minutes accommodation flights tickets it's a few thousand dollars worth but people are more than happy to spend that for an experience to create a memory and places like Destazio Sita enabling us to have those experiences while dining with friends and really making core memories and I can't help but think that this is the era we're stepping into Mm. I think that this is where we're going that's a really great point I do think that yeah experiences always feel far easier to spend your money on than product yeah and this has done it from the entrance all the way through. In trying to understand how they've approached this design, it's really important to understand what brutalist design is. So brutalism is an architectural style characterized by deliberate plainness, crudity, and transparency that can often be interpreted as austere and menacing. Really odd little descriptor there, but it is a lot about, I guess, rough textures and illusions and creating a space uh, with materials that you probably wouldn't expect. Mm, It's like a thought-provoking space. It is a thought-provoking space and they really have created that from the entrance. So when you're kind of coming in, there's no signs. Mm. The only way you can tell that you're at the restaurant is these stunning, extremely tall, translucent red doors and they've created red glass for the first about metre and a half that you kind of walk into Mm. the restaurant, um, which is almost like a really good way of transporting from the outside to the inside. It's almost like you have that mental clarity. You're coming in from the busy hustle streets and you walk through, red's quite a jarring colour. And so you walk through this and it's almost like you get this clean slate Mm. to then view the restaurant. They have been very intentional about the user experience from bringing them off the busy street and all the way through and adding to that sense of theatre. It's building the suspense as you walk through. I can't help but draw parallels for this location to Mona Museum in Hobart. I don't know if you've ever seen anything about it, but it is incredibly disruptive uh, museum because it has a lot of these very quirky pieces in there. The restaurants are quirky, everything about it. So uh, David Walsh, it's his private collection which of artwork which is open to the public and the whole building 
is very reminiscent of this restaurant as well. They do have a lot of similarities in their quirkiness, their boldness, the type of artwork that they're displaying and there's obviously a big demand for it considering not only is Mona absolutely thriving and essentially bringing so much tourism to Hobart, but then we've got locations such as Dastasio Sita popping up that complement that kind of experience so well. Yeah, and I really appreciate that articles are done on restaurants like this because if you walked in, you probably wouldn't understand the amount of thought that has actually gone into the design of this down to he wanted everything handmade. Mm. So the concrete walls are actually just the raw walls that they would have inhabited when they took the lease or purchased the property. But they've gone a step further and actually sanded them back and created some texture and some roughness to it Mm. that makes it feel really intentional as opposed to generally when you get a lease, you create walls in front of it. Put things on top, right? Yeah, Yeah, and they really didn't stop at that everything was really well thought through. The black and white terrazzo floor throughout the dining room took two tradespeople seven weeks to hand pour and place the like, I guess, dispersion of the actual terrazzo itself. How is that attention to detail? It's incredible and I think that's where context is so important. Mm. I try and live by, you need to understand the context of something to really appreciate it. If I walked into that, I'd think, cool, great, black terrazzo floor, Mm. beautiful. I wouldn't have really thought much more. That appreciation to your core that you can see, oh my goodness, the blood, sweat and tears that have been put into this place. Now knowing what I know, that two men poured their heart and soul for seven weeks into this floor, I think it would even make me appreciate the food more. Like the that really adds to the experience. It does, that whole storytelling. We should mention that the restaurateur is Ronaldo D'Astasio and his name is just synonymous with fine dining and this is just another feather in his cap because he owns many, many restaurants throughout Australia, not just Melbourne. And am I right in saying he designed with Hazel? Hassel? Hassel Studio. Hassel Studio? Yeah, Hassel Studio. So the design team is Dorita. D? Rita. I put that together. Dorita. Nope, just D. Rita. (laughs) And Bronwood Uphill. And it was designed in 2019. I would say a really great place to leave it is um, a quote by the Australian Interior Design Awards, mm. where obviously this restaurant won the awards. Um, oh, but great. They've put, yeah, yeah, they've put, his art-filled restaurant's design was driven by instinct and not fashion. And again, we're going to harp on, but everything has to be from within. Like That gave just, me chills. Isn't it such <laughs> a good quote? Because a lot of the time I hear clients be like, or I'll do this because it's on trend or I'll do that because I'm seeing it a lot. And I'm asking them why. Like yes. why is that what's motivating yes. your decisions? And I think you do your, you have an instinct for a reason. We yeah. were given it for a reason. Go with it. Go with it. Bring it into your design decisions. I mean, bring it into all your decisions. Yeah, because the right people will come. Exactly right. He's created this restaurant based on instinct alone and the right people will be drawn to it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be for everyone. Well, they're just no. not his people, right? Exactly. Last but not least in this segment of Design Pulse is the Milan Trace videos. Mm. So 
to give you context to that. Uh, Yellow Trace, which is an online media platform and they follow interior design and architecture and a lot of what's going on within our industry. They do a review um, on Milan Design Week, which we have talked about how much we love Milan Design Week and they call it Milan Trace. And that was how Claire and I got a snippet into Milan this year. Mm. And basically it's like a conference for interior design nerds like you and I. Yeah. Where we really get to sit there and see uh, their perspective, specifically Dana's perspective, who's the director and editor of Yellow Trace, her experience of Milan. And so if you are in the industry, this is really your ticket to ride. So we went along to the live event, but they have recently just released the video footage of the event so anyone can see it for themselves it's an hour and a half long it is very worthwhile viewing to see where the world of design is going they've put it into three segments called past present future sound familiar Um, because that is definitely where we've got our inspiration from for this season of our podcast so they've broken it up into those design categories to discuss where design has come from and how it's informed uh, we're at in design right now and where we're heading to and they go into a lot of depth with a lot of different key designers and have interviews go through so many different exhibitions to the point I don't understand how they can possibly film it with Dana at the centre of it every day. There's just so many places that they go and it's so much to experience. It seems quite overwhelming to sit there for an hour and a half and view it, let alone a whole week. So anyway, it's um, incredible. You can see snippets of the review on their Instagram or you can pay $25 to view the whole hour and a half. And I believe that it's worth the $25. It's worth supporting the industry to see it. I would recommend it for two kinds of people. I think if you're a creative and you're in the industry, it's $25 well spent. Very much so. I also think if you're a young female entrepreneur, it is worth the $25. so easy. You're so right. I think listening to Dana herself talk and you can see the passion behind it. I mean, this woman had been talking for days and lost her voice. Mm. You know, she was constantly (laughs) trying to drink tea. Because we saw the sixth show Mm. and final show. Yeah, Yeah, and she'd obviously just been going at it for you know a couple of days i can definitely confirm that she creates a non-intimidating non-intimidating yeah less intimidating yeah like nurturing approachable Uh, yeah a really approachable environment and something to really strive for so i don't think if you're not necessarily an interior designer that it's not worth your time or money i think it is 100 percent worth it it is to see the powerhouse in action and while we're on the subject very fitting the day after this episode goes live on Friday Dana is doing her TEDx talk in Sydney she has a 15 minute slot if you look on Yellow Trace's Instagram she's taking you behind the scenes she's been kind of unlocking the behind the scenes of her prep work and the sheer fact that she's got a 15-minute time slot. She's been prepping for this and she's at like 25 minutes at the beginning of the week and she's stressing out. Anyway, she is a very likeable – Yeah, she's so likeable, so relatable, isn't she? If you have the opportunity, you can register for TEDx, which is a whole-day event in Sydney. You can register for the virtual event or, of course, if you are in Sydney, you can head along. Let's take a deep dive into the 
1970s. This is really exciting. The 1970s is colour and excitement and maximalism and there's so much going on in that era both historically and in the design world. Mm. To give you a bit of an indicator historically, I mean the Vietnam War and the anti-war movement was really at the forefront of that Mm. decade. It was the end of the civil rights movement. Ted Bundy? Ted, yeah, Ted Bundy. What's this? I don't know. Oh, he's a killer. Pardon? He's a killer. I thought you meant like, oh, he's a killer. Like, no, no. Killer, like a good thing. You actually mean a murderer. (laughs) Like, literally. Very literally. Cold, hard blood. But there was, there there were a lot of, and that shaped a lot of, um, I guess, rights that came in the 80s. So there was just a lot going on in the 70s. Heaps going on. And at the end of the 60s, the Beatles disband Elvis Presley passed away so there's a lot happening at the very end of the 60s which are informing the 70s so other things that were happening in Australia in the 70s were that seatbelts became compulsory in cars in the 70s (laughs) isn't it ever Australia was involved in the Vietnam War up until 73 where Australia removed their involvement Australia had their first legal casino open in Hobart oh in the 70s and the Sydney Opera House opened. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there we go. So there, there are go. a few things that were going on at the time. So yeah. that's the era that we're in and as far as design is concerned, we're talking all things 70s. So think browns, purples, orange, yellows, shagpal rugs, yeah, Colours, flower power, patterns galore. Yeah, which, wallpaper, yeah. lava lamps. It conjures up for me groovy it does (laughs) the word groovy and that 70s font yeah i don't know just like that 70s show right think that 70s show (laughs) yeah that's what i don't know why i think lava lamps because i'm pretty sure that wasn't the 70s no it is oh it is the 70s okay 70s lava lamps if you're thinking that 70s show that's a great example so is austin powers Mm. so is almost famous yes and if you've seen the recent firefly lane i love firefly me too so when they're growing up when they go back there that's in the 70s so there's some good examples of portrayals of the Mm. 70s that have done it well done it justice the context that i found so interesting in researching this topic was that Outside the home, so what was going on outside the home was a lot of layoffs, a lot Mm. of people were getting made redundant. Financially, it was not a very stable time for your household income. People were mainly working two to three days a week as opposed to full time. Yet there was a really big focus on interiors. Mm. It started really, that's really when people started thinking through how they wanted their home to reflect down to the kitchen this was the first era where the kitchen didn't become just a room of function it became a room where you would gather which I found really interesting Mm. because people were having to spend more and more time at home because we weren't working I don't know if that triggers anyone yeah sound familiar sound familiar but because they were working less and home more they started to evolve their interiors around that and I Mm. love that the kitchen completely changed function at that time. While we're on the subject of the kitchen, I love 70s kitchens. Mm. There's just something about them. They're so playful and fun. Tiled bench tops. Yeah, tiled bench tops or laminate bench tops. It's like the introduction of those thick coloured laminate bench Mm. tops and laminate cabinetry. There are coloured appliances. Like just think of those avocado green appliances. Mm. 
it's not necessarily something that I would include in my home, but I have a deep appreciation mm. for it. It just looks so fun and so inviting mm. and you can see or I can picture the type of parties and conversations mm-hmm. that would be happening in those sorts of kitchens during the 70s. And we're talking about an era that's all about free love and flower power and this is the kind of narrative that we've grown up with. And then when you look to the interiors, the interiors are really reflecting mm. that. And culturally, not only are we coming out of like the Vietnam War, but there's so much social change at the time mm. where we're getting rid of like old ways and we're overturning things such as women's rights and Mm. peace activism and First Nations people. All of these conversations are really heavily protested and a time for change externally and, as you say, also a time for change internally as well. Definitely. And within the industry itself, if we're just focusing on the build industry, it's time for change. In the 50s and 60s, there was a really big push on like multi-build. Yes. So you would buy like a house off the plan kind of theory. Yeah. And every house looked the same. Yeah, everyone in the street. You might have the mirror image of your neighbour, but that's it. Whereas in the 70s, this was when synthetic fabrics were introduced. And because of the introduction of synthetic fabrics, they were able to create, and I love the quote I found, which said home fashion, which you and I are very much about at the moment. I can't believe you found that. I know. Because we thought we came up with it. (laughs) Yeah, we did. We did come up with it. We use it to each other all the time. But it came up with these, I guess, affordable furniture pieces that you could change and chop and change colors and do all of that which I guess was the first era people were putting their own thumbprint on their home because they had the ability to do it yeah it's that introduction of personalization which we didn't see prior to the 70s so my bold call would be it's when homes started to become bespoke they Mm. started to become a reflection of whoever was living in them yeah versus I bought off the plan we all have the same home it's very 50s and 60s The hippie movement also infiltrated the interiors where people are becoming more conscious of the environment, the environmental impact, and not only the introduction of upcycling in the 70s, but you can see this kind of back to nature trend where we start seeing flowers, sorry, plants rather, brought into the home. Can you picture those indoor like fern gardens that would always be under the stairs with I'm picturing those houses with the pitched timber exposed timber ceiling and a fern garden in there it was really the first introduction of indoor plants coming Mm -hmm. through and that nod to nature and trying to be more connected to nature because of this hippie movement my favorite quote that I found was actually, it's easy to dismiss the 1970s as the decade that taste forgot. However, after years of pared back discipline with a focus on function in the mid-century design movement, the 1970s is a decade of excess and over-the-top interiors that you can form into something you love. That is so great. It's true because you do think... 1970s, you think like the avocado bath and toilet and sink. Like yeah. You do think all pattern of these. Pattern on top of pattern. Yeah, yeah. You think like, ugh, yuck. Yeah. But the actual, I guess, intent behind it and 
really blossomed the interior design movement and for that we owe it like for that and not only interiors fashion as well fashion is having the same movement at the time you think of flared jeans and little crops with flowers and patterns Mm. everywhere and putting flowers in your hair fashion is having the same sort of moment in the spotlight as interiors and it's changed so much Mm. of where we're at now Mm. with personalizing fashion personalizing interiors and it all started in the 70s yeah i mean there's one thing i hope will never come back which is carpeted bathrooms oh my (laughs) goodness please but everything else i'm happy for the swing to come back in this direction yeah you know so i'm happy to have that in the present time I will not have carpeted bathrooms. Will not have carpeted bathrooms. Will not even have those, what are those carpeted little, it's like a toilet mat. Oh, yes, that people would have. I'm pretty sure my, my grandma nan, still has yes, it. Yes, so did my nan. And I'm always like, is this for your feet? But like, There's got to be some on. sort of or slippers splashy splashy going on like that can't be hygienic not a fan not a fan so 70s we're all for carpet Mm -hmm. in the bathroom no thanks so that probably brings us to present yes understanding how the 70s have informed Mm -hmm. the way that we design now and I don't think you can go past the parallels that we've just been speaking of and the parallels that we are just experiencing with COVID, how there's so much going on in COVID. We're spending so much time mm. in home, at home. We're trying to personalise absolutely everything that we possibly can as well as all of these movements and uprises that are happening within society at the time with Me Too movements and uh, George Floyd and all of these things going on that really are empowering a society externally which means that there are alterations that we're seeing in our interiors yeah I really like that kind of point and there is so much value driven I guess 1970s that are coming through Mm. there's also some really obvious pieces yes coming back from the 70s yes 70s furniture 70s furniture is here to give you three examples we've got 1974 don chadwick's modular seating which is definitely coming back yes we've got 1976 mario bellini's table which is a glass tabletop with the wooden legs that cross over from one another that's a really integral piece that i saw that yesterday where did i see that You would see it almost everywhere at the moment. It is well and truly coming back. We've also got in the 1970s, the conversation pit. Yes. Which we are seeing, thank goodness, coming back and it is coming back hot and heavy. It really is. We've done an episode, well, a portion of an episode where we talked about a conversation pit. We loved it then. We love it now. Bring it back. And I can't help but think of that Again, the flower power, the party vibes, the introduction of the kitchen being a place where you congregate, the conversation pit. To me, I can't help but just see house parties. Mm-mm. Our interiors in the 70s reflected house parties. And are we going back there? Mm. I mean, me personally, love a house party. I haven't had as many house parties as I have in the past like two years. So yes. maybe it's a thing. 
I love I love a good house party. <laughs> How fun. Things always go down at house parties. How fun. Even so next week we've got is it next week we've got the release of Jewel Lux's Colour Forecast. Yeah, Colour Forecast. It's actually on the 31st. It's this week. Very exciting. I would mm. say that the 2023 Pantone Colour of the Year, Viva Magenta, yes. speaks strongly to the 70s it as well. It does. So we really are seeing that pull. This is your hot seat to a ash prediction because I actually think that you're spot on in the fact that we will see Jewelux. They'll have a 70s palette for they 2024. Will have a 70s they will. Palette. I'm really curious <gasps> heard about it. Here it. First. A lot of where I'm where I find the push and pull is um, if you listen to last week, we talked about Japandi, which yep. is all about mental clarity. Yes. And I do think that there is a strong push in that direction in our interiors. However, in researching this, I found a lot of interior designers, specifically influential ones, said I guess within reason they said things like this in a time where neutrality has taken place over color diversification are we yearning again for design schemes that seek exhilaration and individualism Mm. so you've kind of got this push and pull between Japandi which is so present Mm. and and such a big contributor to our interiors now and then we kind of have this pull into color and bursts of it and we are flipping into that 70s at the moment I wonder where the middle ground is going to come where do we land or are they not crossing over at all are they completely separate which I don't know to me personally I am drawn to both of these styles I think 70s is so fun and there's so many key pieces that we can take from the 70s and yeah maybe they are a pairing together we were just talking about like tiled bench tops That's they bad. are really in but and in neutral color in palettes neutrals. so maybe we're just taking nice. little pieces yeah from the yeah. 70s and they're informing us today there was a survey conducted by First Dibs and they said 20%, 26% of interior designers admitted that there will be a revival of the 70s style in current trends. I love the term revival. Yeah, me too. It's a 70s revival. Woo! Yeah, and we're seeing it in fashion as well. So Marie Claire magazine quoted that the 70s fashion is always in style. It's likely because fashion was both fun and practical back then and we're seeing it Back again, flared jeans, high-waisted jeans, little crops. We're seeing that brought back with a 2023 twist on it, right? But we're still giving these nods to the fashion of the 70s. Fashion and interiors, they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that we're seeing it in fashion and we're seeing it within our interior spaces too. I'm not sure whether this is a good point on that, but I'm going to say it. Um, When you had talked about practicality in fashion, Mm. I do think that's something that we are striving for now. Mm. I think about the flared jeans and all I think is when you walk through puddles and you would get like the bottom was always wet and you would get like the jean would pull away and get threads. I had vowed I will never do flared jeans again. And I was talking to a girl a bit younger than me who was into flared jeans. I was like, don't you get that wet? Like, And mm. she said, no, they're all hemmed right. Like they're yeah. hemmed too. And we are doing that tailored look yes. of nods Personalizing in history. everything, yes. And it's that move away from, I don't, I don't think it's the fast fashion term, but it is moving away from 
not tailoring something to yeah, yourself. Yeah, like one size fits all. One size fits all and doing more like this is where the trends are sitting but catering it to yourself. Yeah, I want to be a part of it but I want it to be mine. Mm. As far as looking to the future, I think we're only going to get deeper in it. Mm. I, it feels to me, you know, it's just a prediction, who actually knows, but it feels to me that we're at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the 70s and I think we're going to go in there deeper. I am conflicted. Okay. I think that there are elements that will well and truly see their day and be yeah. out next year yeah. and that specifically is tiled bench tops. Yeah. I think there is an impractical element to, element yeah. to that that we can't solve. Mm. Um, those tiles that they use are incredibly fragile mm. and even the grout itself. Ceramics. Yeah. Usually ceramics rather Usually than porcelains. And the grout itself, although there are stronger grouts we can use, there is not a foolproof, yeah. stain-proof grout. Yeah. And so I do wonder whether their time and place is very much a trend. Mm. However, I do think those kind of bold colours and velvet chairs and even the lighting in the 70s yes. I think that will stay yeah and like patterned wallpaper and yeah. all those sorts of patterns and even the color palette going back to in the 70s that they're introducing these browns and oranges and mustards. mustards yeah we are going to those earthy tones those sorts of correlations mm -hmm. history repeating itself yes. that you know well what's next the 80s mm. is next right so I think we do need to get a little bit deeper in the 70s before we f switch gears to the 80s which it makes sense that that's where we're going next that yeah, the I 80s agree. is where we're going to where I found a contradicting theory mm. that I don't think we will ever return to is that there was a architect called Jim Sterling. He was very prevalent in the time. He recommended to other architects at the time to never propose their designs as something about style or feeling, to only ever propose them about function alone and hide the style and feeling that you want to achieve because of the economical climate back mm. then. So because there wasn't a whole lot of money when people were investing in big projects that architects would put on, they were looking for purely function. How's this going to benefit our society? Yes. Things like that. And so architects were having to distort how they displayed their designs mm -hmm. to purely bring over function. And your point before where we are moving into, I mean, there's so many talks that we're going into one of history's biggest economical downturns mm -hmm. and there's so much going I hope that we don't adopt that. I hope that That's we so adopt that feeling is what makes all of those other elements okay. Yeah. Feelings is what you go, okay, I might be at a pinch financially, but I've got this home that I feel so comfortable in, or I've gone to this restaurant that really evoked something in me, or this, I walked past a beautiful building today. Mm. All of those things assist to the troubles of life feeling easier. Yeah. It goes back to that memory building and mm -hmm. that experience that we are seeing so much importance being put on mm -hmm. with the restaurants and things that we were talking about being developed and our homes are exactly the same so mm -hmm. I'm totally with you I, I hope that that never goes away but I don't see that it could now that we know we it's like we can't unlearn it mm -hmm. we now have learned that this personalization that was introduced in the 70s was just the start of it 
It's got to go deeper. 100%. I don't know what that looks like, but it's got to go deeper, surely. Well, I think that's the 70s. I love it. <laughs> Me too. That is episode two of Interior Couture done. It has been so much fun. Until next week. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Interior Couture. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more, come connect with us on Instagram at interiorcouture.podcast. We're an independent podcast and we really appreciate your time and support. A follow on the platform that you're listening to this episode on would be amazing. If you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts and takeaways. 